0: This is Magic City Soccer, your home for everything you need to know about soccer in Miami-Dade County. Hello soccer fans of South Florida and beyond, and we've got a two-man show for you guys again tonight, or this afternoon, or this morning, whenever you're listening. But, it's not one of the guys who's typically in our rotation. No, no, we're joined by a special guest co-host, Kardik Krishnayer, one of the voices for your Miami FC, alongside Lee Evans and myself. Kardik how are you doing? I'm doing
1: great, Omar. Uh, fantastic sunny day in South Florida.
0: Sunny day in South Florida and I have my windows closed. What's wrong with me, man? Uh,
1: Same here. Because we know it's going to rain inevitably.
0: (laughs) It's going to rain inevitably, but hopefully not before I can make it to the post office to send out some items. Cardick, it's it's absolutely crazy that we've all been around the same community, the same block for the last three. And obviously for you, much longer than that um, with your work with the strikers going back as well. That we have not had you on our podcast before. That's kind of weird.
1: It is kind of weird. I mean, I guess I did a a live podcast with Drew. uh, That's true. That's true. uh, At a time when Miami FC was struggling that season, right? That was after the Miami United draws and loss in Jacksonville. Um, That was a good omen. We didn't lose again last season after that. (laughs) Now
0: that I think about it. Oh, man. Oh man, let's hope it carries over into right now. So we got a lot to talk about today. We've got a Miami United recap. We're going to go ahead and take a look at Chattanooga just up the road here with a kickoff on Tuesday. Tuesday. So if you're listening Tuesday morning, that would be today. If you're listening tonight, Monday, uh, that would also be, well, the next day. Just one more sleep to go. And we're going to take a quick look around the MPSL playoffs and the 14 teams that are remaining. It's crazy. MPSL has over 90 teams uh, within their conferences and within their alignment. And yet there's only 14 left to go. And it's crazy how fast this season comes and goes. But let's go ahead and, and, and just rewind very quickly to Saturday. Uh, Kardik and I were both on the call, as I mentioned with Lee Ephens and Kardik. What a match. What, What a almost an instant classic, if you will, if we borrow a term from ESPN. It's just one of those matches where Miami FC gets an early lead and then all of a sudden they get punched and they get knocked down. And then yet after the halftime adjustments, it's almost as if, you know, Paul Dalglish was pleading to his fighters as if they were Rocky. Get up, Rocky. Get up. And just start swinging. Um, and, and, you know, obviously at the end, we all know what the result is. But what are your takeaways from that match? What are the big moments that you saw that, you know, carried this Miami FC team to victory? Yeah, it
1: was such an instant classic that uh, a, a, a day later, I'm at the him-or-she FC game in Coral Springs. Uh, Against uh, uh, Boca Predators, and everyone is talking about Miami FC versus Miami United. Still, I mean, it's a close knit soccer community in South Florida. These three counties, everybody knows everyone else. Everyone talks to everyone else. But uh, it was still like the buzz 24 hours later, which was really cool. But it also reminds me that we got to pivot, right? As Miami FC, we got to pivot. We've got Chattanooga. Uh, we, We 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 want to talk about the moment, but we need to uh, focus on what's ahead of us. But looking back at this game, uh, it was um, it was difficult. You know, there there has been a mental issue potentially with us against Miami United. When I say us, it's Miami FC. I'm not trying to uh, offend anyone out there. <laughs> um, I, I support all clubs in South Florida, which I think people who, who know me know that. Uh, but. We have Omar, Um, we've had mental issues, they've gotten in our head before, and I thought this match was was playing out similarly in that because Miami United got a lead, looked brilliant in the first half, pushing balls into wide areas, uh, doing Perea in particular was dangerous, but even in the center of midfield, they were doing a very good job. Um, had gone with a different different uh, setup because Shenfeld was uh, suspended and that seemed to catch Miami FC off guard. They were able to control the tempo of play and this was what was very different from previous Miami FC, Miami United games. I think what had happened in the past was Miami FC would control the midfield uh, but Miami United would get physical, get chippy with them, uh, get in their heads uh, create mistakes. What was actually happening in this match after the penalty, uh, which came somewhat against the run of play even at that point in the first 10 minutes of the match, Miami United uh, had a chance, uh, In Shelton had a chance within, I want to say, two or three minutes, was that United was dictating the tempo. United was uh, creating um, the the, the mismatches in midfield. United, yes, they were playing a lot of diagonal uh, long balls, to pick on Jalen Markey at left back. I know that was a a, a quick takeaway from a lot of Miami FC fans, but they were also really uh, controlling the midfield in a way that forced Miami FC to try and bypass the midfield. And the midfield, of course, particularly with Ariel Martinez dropped back into midfield for this match, uh, was the strength for Miami FC. When you look at, at Lance Roseboom, uh, Dylan Myers and Ariel Martinez. So, forcing the defenders to make quick decisions to play long balls either wide in the direction of Miguel and Gonzalez and Darius Suarez, they often didn't get there, or just try and lunge it forward and have Mo Chow um, hold the ball up and uh, try and bring his teammates into play. And by the time he would do that, there would be mismatches already, two two or three Miami United defenders. So I thought the tactical plan from Fernie was perfect for that first half and caught Miami FC off guard. Uh, So it was different than the previous matchups where Miami FC had struggled, but that was a lot of self-inflicted wounds and a lot of mental wounds. I actually think uh, Miami FC kept their composure pretty well, much better than previous matches against United so that was the first half. The second half, the key, the change, was one bringing Ba on, something you were calling for on the broadcast, um, I think probably from the 20th minute on, right, Omar? Um,
0: oh, man, he's throwing me under the yeah. bus. Here we now, go. No, I'm not throwing you, I'm not throwing you <laughs> under
1: the bus because you made the right call. I'm actually giving you props here. You know, you, you want you <laughs> wanted Ba on, and Ba was great. Um, he has gotten better and better as the season has worn on. We didn't think he could I, – I, I have to readily admit when uh, – uh, Coach threw him at left back. I'm thinking, uh, and it was in the matchup in Winter Park uh, against Central Florida. I'm thinking, what is this? Uh, this is not. This is this is another uh, experiment that's going to go bad. And he has just made himself um, a constant at that position. He's he has good oh, yeah. enough defensive instincts. He has closing speed, and he's really dangerous going forward. Um, he's going to play a similar role in the rest of these playoffs, I think, to what Tyler Pollock gave us last year on the left side, and uh, what uh, Baggio and uh, and, uh, uh Blake Smith I almost forgot his name Blake Smith have given us in the past uh, in, in 2017 and, and farfan in 2016 when when that was clicking.
0: If I can interject in there for a second it's incredible when you take a look at this roster and you see the injuries that have happened uh, John Niskin's going down on a you know very untimely challenge um you know uh, as you mentioned Robert baggio Casera. Uh, you know, being losing him for the season within the first minutes of you know the 2019 MPSL season, um, and then you, you Marco Franco still recovering from an injury as well. It just it really makes you kind of you know kind of take a step back and admire what two attacking minded players have been able to do and fill in for roles uh, w- within both fullback positions with Othello Ball on the left hand side and Lloyd Sam on the right hand side. And, and credit to Paul Dalglish because. They almost fit his system perfectly with regards to how he uses his fullbacks, almost as inverted wingers in a sense, and he has them push high up the field and then allows, well, forces the midfield to come back and play defense. Many a time last season, you saw Dylan Mars on the right hand side, kind of covering the gap that Sean McFarland would leave when McFarland would push so far forward. And I think you're seeing the same thing now, where in the second half of that game, all of a sudden now you had Lance Roseboom able to drift a little bit to the left because Othello Ball was pushing 45, 50 yards up the field from where his spot should be at any given point in time. Yeah,
1: I think Jalen Markey uh, just had trouble with uh, the pace uh, of Miami United and Perea and those over-the-top balls in this match. But Markey played very well left-back in the previous uh, match against Jacksonville and has... Yep played very well as a center back uh, while everyone else was injured. So uh, he goes back to his natural position now, and that gives Miami FC more options because you've got Brenton Griffiths, you've got Callum uh, Chapman Page, who's played really well at center back the last month or so. So, and then, uh, and then, obviously Jalen Markey, who, who is a good center back, uh, playing him at left back was was always going to be um, a risk. So Ba will play there. So let's talk about the second half. Ba obviously was one big change. I think the other big change was just a, a change in philosophy, which which is, and you know. We're, We could have had this conversation in 2017 2018. You play through Dylan Mares and you play through Ariel Martinez. You play through the midfield. You don't necessarily uh, spring balls out wide and build from wide areas. So if you build from the middle, Miguel Gonzalez and Dario Suarez in those wide areas can cut inside, find space, particularly when Ariel is on the ball because he's so good with his touches. He's so good at pushing tempo of matches. And we've talked about this on the broadcast, Omar. It's not just Running at guys, but it's also being able to hold the ball, slow the game down, bring his teammates into play. And then from a technical standpoint, there's no better midfielder at this level in this country than Dylan Mars. He's, he's absolutely the best. He's been, um, to me, since his time at Indy 11, I would say going back to his second season there, when um, I, I brag about this, I guess this is me not being so humble. I voted for him for <laughs> Young Player of the Year in the NASL and got some snickers when I told people that because uh, there was a guy on the Cosmos everyone voted for and ended up, uh, the other media voted for and ended up winning. Uh, The award, well, I think in time I've proven to be right about that. And it was just, even in Indy, as a young guy coming out of the University of Indiana, it was Dylan's touches on the ball. It's the way he read the game. It's the way he found pockets of space. The sort of things that sometimes uh, a lot of fans and other media don't notice, but uh, people like you and I do. I've noticed doing broadcasts with you, you always notice these same sort of things in in terms of tactics. And Dylan has had that uh, since he came out of college. And this is why it frustrates me, and I know there are reasons for it, but it, I will be honest, it frustrates me when he doesn't get as many touches as he needs to in games, uh, which has happened a few times in the last couple seasons, uh, because um, he is an absolute—he's absolutely unplayable defensively at this level. And and he, I feel the same way about Ariel in, 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 when it comes down to it.
0: His similarities uh, in this season in comparison to Poku in 2017... Although there is a staunch there is a staunch difference because Poku, um, as we've talked about, could have been uh, you know labeled a, a defensive liability of sorts, was a midfielder that needed the ability to to free roam, needed to be given the chance to create. And let me tell you something: he was able to capitalize on almost every chance that he was able to create, whether it was a dump off assist or whether it was a, a ball finished into the back of the net. Now with Dylan Mares he is responsible defensively. And when you look at this level of NPSL play, as you mentioned, it, it is very akin to the 2017 version of Poco in the NASL because the defenses in the NPSL have not had an answer for him. The second, he that, the second he darts through the midfield and he starts unlocking the opposition's midfield and working into that back line, you've seen time and time again where they're scrambling. The opposing defenses are scrambling. They don't have an idea of how to play him. If they play him... On a press, he lays it off much like he did in the second goal that allowed Ariel Martinez to earn his brace and equalize the game. Um, and if you give him too much time, he's going to rip one from distance and probably score. So I would I would just go ahead and, and, and mention that yes, as, as just carrying on to what you said, Dylan Maris is is definitely one of uh, the important focal points for this Miami FC side. Um, Ariel Martinez earned a brace in the match, um, and Miguel Gonzalez finished it off. Miguel Gonzalez back on the score sheet, after being away from it uh, for the, final, the last two matches. The Uh matches,
1: yeah. Uh, just to finish up on Dylan, your points are all really well taken. Uh, there were large portions, Omar, of the 2016 season in Indy, where he played... Um, you know, he, he he would drift deep and have to play very defensively at times in Tim Hankinson's setup uh, that year and uh, was successful and was a good defender, which is why I knew he could do it here. He had to do it a lot in 2017 here because of Poku. Um, you mentioned Poku. Don't want to get too deep in, down that uh, rabbit hole. But the other uh, – the guys in midfield had to do more defending maybe than they were accustomed to because of that. Um, and then, obviously, twenty eighteen, uh, he, he was incredible, particularly in the postseason. And twenty nineteen, similar. Uh, Ariel always steps up in big games. We've seen this uh, since twenty sixteen with Miami FC. We've we obviously uh, really saw this season uh, the Naples game in Naples. Uh, he 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 changed that game, and um, th- this match, uh, Miami FC doesn't quite frankly doesn't win this match without Ariel Martinez. I think. Um. what's also really ref- uh, incredible is to see hi- him able to go uh, 85 to 90 minutes Omar, uh, if you think back to 2017 yep. we thought of Ariel Martinez as a 30 minute player and that's how Alessandro Nesto u- used him um, I think Paul Daglish realizes uh, and a- coach just loves Ariel and, and, and the kind of uh, style of play he he brings. Uh, I think coach realizes that sometimes to dictate tempo and to uh, and to keep uh, uh, things rolling the way you want them to, you need Ariel out there for ninety. Now, um, a, as we get deeper into this playoffs and and we know how uh, how the fixtures come quickly, let's see how. Uh, Ariel's managed, managed That's something uh, uh coach has to be has to be thinking about. But I know uh, coach is not coach wants him out there all the time. Um he doesn't have the options Nesta had in twenty seventeen. He, he doesn't have uh <laughs> Vincenzo Ranella or um some of the other players we had that season. So um right. now Miguel Gonzalez, yeah, he he um he gets another goal that's 15, gets the winning goal, um, breaks that two-match duck where he hadn't scored. Um, he is so good off the ball, and he's so good in terms of um, his ability to read uh, read defenses and find little pockets of space. And, and I've talked to his general manager uh, in OKC, with the OKC Energy in USL, and he's told me Miguel, they had signed um, and a number of uh, players uh, that they thought would be... You know, better out and out goal scorers than Miguel. One was a player I think a lot, some of our listeners will be familiar with, Jose Angulo, who was very good for the Fort Lauderdale Strikers for a number of years uh, and uh, is a natural goal scorer. Um, and yet Miguel kept, kept his spot and kept being the guy because he does these little things off the ball that um, some of the other guys they brought in didn't. And uh, Coach here has admitted to me that. Um, uh, you know, he had the roster basically filled out, but he saw Miguel was available. It's too good a player not to sign, right? Too good a player not uh, if he's available and he wants to come here to add to your roster. So uh, Miguel is uh, is playing really well. Another, we have a lot of Seattle links on this team. I think I keep putting this up on the broadcast. We, we really do. Yeah, with Jalen Markey really and do. Hector Morales, who's actually represented the unofficial national team. Um of, uh, Cascadia, and then, uh, Miguel Gonzalez is also from Seattle, so, uh, we have, it's kind of a funny thing, um, we even have some Seattle links on our broadcast, right?
0: Yeah, we, I, do we?
1: Yeah, with our, uh, with our producer, his, uh, our cameraman, his, uh, son,
0: Ooh, that's right. his, oh, that's right, yes, yes, I his I <laughs> son, Nick Hines,
1: is playing... For the for Tacoma the, Defiance. The Tacoma Defiance, right. So um, it's funny how this works because we're opposite ends of the country. Obviously, Miami and Seattle are as far as, as you can get within the continental U.S. But yeah, I think Miguel Gonzalez has been such an important part of um, this team this season, doing a lot of the work that I think you saw um, Jaime Chavez do uh, in the last few yep. years off the ball, um, because that yep. wasn't necessarily the forte of Pino. Uh, And Ranella, and I and I saw it. uh, I saw it here in Miami. I saw it here in Fort Lauderdale also with Pino, where Pino is great. Don't get me wrong. Love Stefano, but he would always need someone playing alongside him. Uh, to do that, to do some of that work. In Fort Lauderdale, it was Jose Angulo for part of the time. It was Marlon Fritas for some of the time. Here in Miami, it was Jaime Chavez and um, and Vincenzo Ranella. Uh, I think Miguel Gonzalez provides that, and he's developed a sort of understanding with Dario Suarez and with Mo Chau. And Mo Chau is uh, tremendous. I, I don't think we've had a kind of comparable player in style uh, in the history of Miami FC, and I'm trying to think in in no we have the NASL. Um I guess the closest thing I would compare to him uh, would be a guy like Amani Walker who played for Minnesota and won a couple championship or won a championship there and got to another final there when they lost to Tampa uh, or, or 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 um oh gosh God, I'm forgetting uh, his name uh with uh oh uh, Georgie Ristoff with Tampa Bay now maybe he's not quite at that level but a guy who who finds space holds the ball up lays the ball off you know quick can, can do the quick passing move and can also finish. So um, really, I know that's high praise comparing him with Georgie Ristoff, who I think is probably considered one of the top five players or so uh, in lower division soccer over the course of the last uh, last five years or so, along, alongside the likes of uh, uh, of Richie Ryan and, and players like that, that that we're familiar with down here. Um, but uh, I think Mo Chow has just got a fantastic all-around game. And so when you, you put Chow... Gonzalez and Dario together, and I don't want a a slight Dario here, it's just we're more... Our fans are more familiar with him because he was here last year, so uh, don't have to describe the assets of his game as much. <laughs> um, you really have this potent front line. The thing is, they need midfield support, and we've seen, uh, we saw in the first half of this game against Miami United, Fernie and Miami United understand that and cut that off and force the long balls and change, change of tempo. Uh, but when you can play a nice passing game, one twos between. Uh, Ariel and Miguel, or, or Dylan and Mo. and You just see uh, space opens up, up uh, defenses get moved side to side, and there's all kinds of opportunities to score goals late in matches, which we've seen uh, in the last month of the season.
0: Well, Cardick, let me ask you a question. Now, to me, you know, watching the matches that we've seen and, and, and being at North Miami Athletic Field uh, a few times and, and watching Miami United kind of take on the Sunshine Conference as well. Miami United almost has the ability to kind of frustrate Miami FC's midfield. And when you've looked at the other matches that we've played in the Sunshine Conference, even Naples United, a team that's very stout defensively, did not have that ability to kind of just frustrate, misalign, you know, with a high press, constantly be at the heels of Miami FC midfielders and and really force Miami SEA defenders to essentially bypass them all together is that something that anybody else in the MPSL, with the exception of maybe one or two clubs uh remaining in the playoffs is that something that you know we should expect moving forward that another team will take that approach and if they do take that approach do they have the talent to pull it off we're going
1: to play better and better teams as this goes on Chattanooga who we're going to play I just want to say and it's such an honor to play Chattanooga. They are, uh, for those of us, I don't want to mix ideology too much into this, but uh, those of us who are uh, supporters, defenders, promoters of independent soccer in this country, there's no football club that's done more for that cause than the Chattanooga FC. Uh, And uh, uh, look, I I know people revere some of the MLS clubs. I revere Chattanooga. So I'm so happy we're getting the opportunity to play them, host them. um, and, And I know, Many people in, in our um, organization feel the same way and you know, have the same sort of reverence for Chattanooga. Yeah, so I think some of these teams in um, th- at, at this level are going to be more able to frustrate us. AFC Ann Arbor is a very good team. Uh, in, in terms of um, being able to control tempo and matches. Detroit City has been better this season. Another another great independent club, obviously, has been um, very good to, uh, this season, better than they've been in the past. Uh, obviously, we, we, we have to worry about the Cosmos, and, and Baltimore is another team that I've been told is very good defensively and very good at transition game, which is something that we have to be aware of because I think what we've seen – uh, if there's one real liability in this Miami FC team, and I think it's a liability with any team that controls tempo and plays uh, really, really well on the front foot. We even saw it with the U.S. women, right? They, there was a bit of a liability in terms of counterattacks, uh, p- particularly in the Spain and England games, uh, in, in the Women's World Cup and the knockout stages. And Miami FC is very similar to the U.S. women's team in how we play and how we go about our business, that sometimes um, – the transition game is a problem. Miami United has exploited that uh, time and again the last two seasons. Uh, we saw Naples try, and it was quite frankly somewhat successful without scoring a goal, right, in the first half of the game here at Barry? Yes. Um, and then also uh, we saw... Another uh, Central Florida to try those over the top diagonal balls and be kind of successful in that match. Oh, but that's different
0: yeah. though. That, that that's different because that that is more of an attacking tactic of and trying to exploit Miami FC's you know potential weaknesses in, in the sense of just being able to you know shut down the midfield with a high press. That's something that I honestly feel is going to be difficult to replicate because. Naples United did not employ a high press. Naples United just loaded men behind the box and said, okay, break us down. If you want to get a point or if you want to get all three points out of this match, start finding the passing lanes. And and you know what Naples did that
1: was really interesting was that they, I mean, we've seen teams sit in low blocks and sit eight men behind the ball against Miami FC uh, going back to 2017, right? Um, and, and, And say, break us down. And, and, Infamously, the New York Cosmos would do that for all the all, all the accolades the Cosmos got. I mean, they whenever they play Miami FC, they it was the same thing I dealt with in Fort Lauderdale before. Uh, uh, they, they 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 never wanted to play football in some of these matches, the Cosmos. And okay, I hope that's not bulletin board material if we face them again. But um, I go back to even the playoff game the Strikers played against them in 2015 when the aforementioned Angulo's goal was uh, perfectly. Uh, uh, onside goal was chalked off by the referee. The Cosmos didn't want to play football in that match. Um, and they just sat behind the ball. What Naples did um, was interesting because they would sit eight behind the ball, Omar, but then in midfield they would, they would hunt and pack. So they weren't high-pressing, but they, it was almost like they were an attacking defense, right? So they sat eight behind the ball, but then they didn't let us keep the ball once we got into their half. Um, they didn't press high, uh, but they did... S- They did disrupt our rhythm um, well before we got into the final third. So it was a little bit different. Um, I don't. I'm not even sure how to describe that tactic. I guess I would call it an attacking defense, an attacking defense in their own half. Uh, but that allowed them to, to transition quickly and, and create these counter-attacking opportunities. Which, uh, as you mentioned, you're right. Central Florida. It was just a tactic. Whenever they had possession, uh, they would have one of their center backs play. Um, whenever they gained possession, which wasn't much in that game, but when they gained it, they would have one of their center backs play those over the top balls, and it would give us. Uh, give us trouble, and it was giving, um, I I think it's something we've we've addressed, which is why you saw Miami United when, in the second half, um, the the, the issues on the flank were corrected, and they tried some of those types of balls, they didn't come off the way they had for Central Florida in that match, our our, our Central Defense was able to deal with
0: it. It was, yeah, positioning in Othello Ball and then, you know, seeing that once Othello Ball is manning down that left-hand side, it forced Miami United's uh, right-wing Brian Perea to, you know, travel more to the middle of the field. So eventually that whole outlet was just taken away completely just by the substitution. Um, and, and Miami United sees the game off, holds on there at the end after nine and a half minutes of six minutes of, of awarded stoppage time there was, was, was rather nuts. Um, but Miami United win 3-2. Uh, win their sixth trophy in the last three years it's, it's a big accomplishment for any north american club uh, of any level really um, and now we look forward to kind of the, the next round or, or the next tournament that we're in here uh, and up again is or i should say up again up next is chattanooga fc as you mentioned this is a team that is being held in high regard by just about everybody who follows um the MPSL here in south florida now with Chattanooga FC, one of the things that comes off uh, very quickly, as I've done, you know, a brief scouting report, is fifteen players from Chattanooga FC have scored a goal this season. They had twenty-nine goals in the regular season. They've scored seven more uh, in their semifinal and final of the Southeast Conference for a total of thirty-six goals now in fourteen games, if I'm not mistaken. Because I believe they have an additional uh, team in that in that conference, or maybe it's twelve games. So my apologies. However, 36 goals now in either 12 or 14 games. 15 total players scoring a goal for Chattanooga FC. Cardick, is this a team that we look at now just on paper and say, okay, total football, or is this just a team that is really good in a conference that uh, you know, might might be lacking a step or two. Well, I
1: don't think that conference is lacking a step or two at all. It's a conference that's um, through the years. Now, again, it's tough to judge year to year because so, so much changes in NPSL. It's a conference that through the years has been one of the stronger conferences in NPSL, uh, stronger than this conference historically. Uh, and uh, Chattanooga is one of the few teams... We see these teams pop up and pop down in NPSL, right? They have a good year. They have an influx of good college players or good adult amateur players in their area. They're really good, and then the next year, they're not so good. Chattanooga has been consistently good since... I want to say for about 10 years. Uh, They've been to a bunch of national finals. I haven't won one, but they've gotten there. They're always in the playoffs. Uh, I don't... They... I. I don't know that NPSL keeps these sorts of records, but I believe they probably have been to more, they've probably played more national playoff games. Um, any regional playoff games in any club in the history of this league, so uh, they're 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 very good. Uh, Phil D'Amico is a player I'm familiar with, the goalkeeper uh, from his time in NASL. A top top keeper uh, had had a little bit of a, a, a tough one last year when in the conference final um, he came off his line on a penalty, and it's something we began to see now. Dudavar in the Women's World Cup, uh, got called for one of the first times I had seen it recently um, in their final against the Silverbacks last year. You remember how much trouble the Silverbacks gave Miami FC. That was our toughest match in the entire national playoffs. And I include uh, the Motown final in that. I think the final against Motown, uh, you could argue Motown were the better team until Johnny Steele Uh, scored that wonder goal. And um, for those who aren't aware of it in our listening audience, I'll tell you um, how much people like Johnny Steele. Johnny Steele being back (laughs) in New Jersey, where he had, of course, won um, a a Supporters' Shield with the Red Bulls and been a key part of that team alongside the likes of Timmy Cahill and uh, Thierry Henry. That tells you how, uh, how how much he meets. Bradley Wright Phillips is at the match. Sean Wright Phillips, you know, who for me as a Manchester City fan, just amazing to see him, um, is at the match. Tyler Adams is at the match, the Tyler Adams, and one or two other uh, Red Bull players just to see Johnny because they knew it was going to be his last match. So Johnny Steele has a bit of a homecoming. He scores this belter, and we control the match from that point on. Even though it was 1-1 for a while, we controlled the match from that point forward. The Silverbacks match last year, Omar, I was never comfortable until they had a guy sent
0: off no 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 very reminiscent of the match that we just called on saturday i don't think i was ever comfortable you know i not going back to that because we are going to continue to preview chattanooga here on out uh you know i'm i arrived at the stadium rather early because i just i couldn't take it anymore the time just ticked so So slowly, slowly the whole day and of course when lee walks in, he looks at me he's like it feels like a cup final doesn't it and i'm like It it really does. There's just no other way to to put it into words because the day dragged. It's just one of those you know. You kind of look at you're like, wow, okay. Like it's only one o'clock. Wow, it's only two o'clock. Wow, it's only three. Okay, let's 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 get to it. I guess Um, this is
1: confession time after um, we've won the match. But I was pacing the whole day. I think you knew I was like. Nervous energy, which normally I come to the press box. You and I chat. We're we're, you know, we're just hanging out. I'm like walking up and down the steps. I'm walking in and out of the out of the stadium. Uh, I'm looking at my watch. Oh my gosh, it's only six fifteen. I thought we would have kicked off by now. I, I was nervous. And <laughs> this is something that unfortunately. Um, And and credit to Robbie Saka and Fernie and everyone associated with Miami United. They've been in our heads. They've been in my head for the last two years. So, um, you know, I I don't know. Maybe in hindsight I could say maybe I walked in expecting to lose, scared of losing, because um, we've had such trouble with that team. But, yeah, I was feeling the same way. I mean, Saturday was... Uh I was nervous. The Atlanta game last year I wasn't nervous about but then within 15 20 minutes of that match we were like oh wow we're in a match. We're yeah, in a y- game.
0: You had Peter you had Peter Crouch Light manning the front line for for Atlanta for the Atlanta Silverbacks. You know, a six foot five striker that nobody could really you know keep tabs on. Oh, that was that was a ridiculous game. a Ridiculous game. Um, but so my <laughs> point was that that that
1: shows the strength of that conference because um, they've typically always had teams. Uh, Whether it's Chattanooga, I remember the old Huntsville team that's not there anymore uh, when Greenville uh, was strong in uh, in NPSL. They've always had teams that have advanced uh, pretty deep. And actually, Jacksonville used to be in that conference before the Sunshine Conference was around, and they won the national championship coming out of that conference. So that conference has always been tough
0: no it's always been tough, but then you almost look at it as you know come in, and to kind of refer to college basketball march madness uh, it 's like the A c c essentially you start beating up on on yourselves. Yeah. Uh, within in-season play, and then once you get to the the national tournament, you know you'll start seeing some ACC teams, you know, uh, with, that are not the powerhouses start falling out of the early rounds because it's year. just a battle of attrition. Yeah, i used to that with the
1: Hurricanes every year, where we finish thirteen and five in the ACC, we finish eleven and seven. We've had some really good ACC seasons under Laranaga, and I felt, oh, we can beat anyone. And then we go into the NCAA tournament and we're dead. And it happened to Virginia for years. Now they've won a national championship, but same thing with them. Same thing with Florida state until uh, the one year they got to the elite eight but Florida State would play really well in the ACC and they'd be and actually it used to happen with Duke also there was a period of time where Duke would be the overall number one seed in the NCAA tournament uh, and they would get knocked down to sweet 16 every year because they had just been worked so hard through the conference um, but yeah I think that that's the case with, um, with with the southeast and here in the South region um, we it's hard to judge our conference right because I think our conference had Three really good teams and three really bad teams, to be frank. No offense to Jacksonville and Central Florida and Storm, but um, I think there were three teams that had kind of a mini tournament going on. Us, Miami United, and Naples – Uh, We were slightly better than those other two teams, but I don't think we were significantly better than those two teams. And I can't tell you who was better, United or Naples. United beat them in the end, but then Naples had beaten them twice in the regular season. But I don't know that we've been tested more than the five games against those two teams all season, right? Um, So in theory, we should be fresh. Although uh, you and Lee both made the point, Lee, especially on the broadcast, Miami United playing Naples, coming into playing us, might have been an advantage because they had just been tested and we hadn't playing Jacksonville. They had to to give everything they had to get by a similarly caliber team. Maybe this helps us now because we're coming off of this match against a team we had to scrape to beat. We didn't have that last year when we played Atlanta. Quite frankly, we, we wiped Jacksonville out in that final um, and uh, last year. And then we go into the Atlanta game without having been tested. And then we had had a bunch of you know easy regular season matches toward the end of the season. We came into that Atlanta match without having been tested in a while. This year, we come right. to the Chattanooga match having played Naples twice late in the season. Those were both tough matches. And then um, obviously this Miami United game.
0: Yeah, it's a quick turnaround, and even more so for Chattanooga FC, who also played their uh, Southeast Conference semi. I'm sorry, Southeast Conference final on Saturday, and uh, as I just saw from social media, they're working their way now down to Miami. Left early on a bus from Chattanooga, driving down to Atlanta, which is about two hour drive to then catch about the two hour flight uh, into either MIA or Fort Lauderdale. Now, with Chattanooga FC, um, they are led at the front by. A Brazilian duo in Jose Zeca Ferraz and Felipe Oliveira. Uh, Ferraz has six goals on the season leading the way for Chattanooga and for and Oliveira right behind him with five. A couple guys tied up with three as well. Some midfielders, some second choice strikers, kind of you know picking picking their spots maybe against some of the weaker opponents like Atlanta SC, uh, who did actually finish last in the conference this year. A big one to note though is that. Chattanooga will be without Mason Walsh, an AFC Bournemouth Academy product who has worked his way across the pond, played with New Orleans uh, a couple seasons ago in the MPSL, and is now with Chattanooga. He will be missing this match, uh, second game second game that he will be suspended in a row uh, for Chattanooga, and that's a big loss here in the midfield uh, because you can imagine in this level once you have a you know a talent that has been through a, a proper Premier League academy that player is usually a game changer, uh, within this, you know, fourth level of U.S. soccer.
1: Yeah. Uh, even in the second level of U.S. soccer, we saw that with Richie Ryan came through Sunderland's Academy and, uh, He's, I would put him on that list with Georgie Ristoff, right? Top five uh, lower division players over the last <laughs> five years or ten years. Uh, Mason Walsh, a big loss for them. Really good player. Uh, obviously, former New Orleans Jester player as well. Uh, but uh, they've got other other guys who can do the job. The thing about Chattanooga, every season that I've noticed in the last – I mean, going back to uh, 2013, 2014, is that they have this combination of guys that are uh, – that are fresh out of colleges, generally colleges in that area uh, near them, uh, the, the, the the schools in Tennessee, uh, uh, Dalton, Georgia, those sorts of places that Dalton's very close to check. Right. Um, and they'll have guys who have floated around the lower divisions for a number of years and are experienced and they mesh it together and it always comes together. Now, as I said, they've been to three national finals. They haven't won one. I don't hold that against them. This is a really tough thing to win. This is, I think the thing that shocked us last season, Omar, coming from NASL, uh, and, in this, and I include our players in this, even though they ended, up winning, um, uh, they ended up winning it in the end. No one realized what a grind it is uh, to win in this league because of the way the postseason is structured and how many random results come about. Just because teams have played so many matches, there's so many guys suspended, there's so many guys who get injured, and because the postseason is, is condensed, guys that are missing, that uh, there are random things that happen. And then the previous year, I know when Elm City won, uh, there were all kinds of crazy things that happened in the postseason that year. That right? would have been 2017. So um, it is difficult, and for people who who say uh oh well miami f c has uh, uh is more has more professional players and they spend more money than everyone else i i that's bunk because you don't know how difficult it is uh especially with with professional players um who play a certain style of football um and have to and are accustomed to certain things, to have to go through this grind. It's the same grind for everyone. It's difficult for everyone. There are outstanding teams like Chattanooga. And I think the other unfortunate thing about Chattanooga historically is two of the finals they got to, they played... Uh, B teams of professional teams, Uh, the New York Red Bulls one year, (laughs) when the Red Bulls had their B team in uh, NPSL before USL started taking reserve teams uh, or before they put that team in USL. So they were essentially playing like this high end professional team, a team that I think might have won USL the very next year or the year after. Uh, And then the Cosmos Mm -hmm. B, which included uh, uh, John Nieskins, who's obviously out. Uh, For this game from from uh, our team and uh, several other uh, included Haji Wright, by the way, who's gone on to play in the Bundesliga. So I I think Chattanooga uh, has just gotten unlucky with some of the teams they've drawn, but they're just an incredible club and they've shown they're one of the few teams that have been able to consistently do this at a high level.
0: Yeah, and also to mention as well, there's going to be some some familiar faces, even if the names don't uh, aren't necessarily the most recognizable. Marcus uh, Smarzik in the midfield for uh, Chattanooga FC actually played last year with Palm Beach United, a team that has now left the MPSL altogether. As well, he's joined in the midfield with Abraham Lanzana, who played for Atlanta last season uh, in that South Region semifinal against Miami FC. So there's going to be some, some some familiar faces there. For sure, the game planning is there. Luckily enough, for Paul Dalglish and staff, most of Chattanooga's games, if I'm not mistaken, were broadcasted, so there will be game film uh, for the technical staff to review. Now, we'll go ahead and take a look, and I, or I should say, before we do that, again... This match is tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Tuesday, July 16th at Barry University. Tickets are $10, if I'm not mistaken. Card to kids. 12 and under are free. If you cannot make the match, we understand that it is a weekday at 7 p.m., but try to make it out, guys. It's really not that long of a commute. Um... If you cannot make the match, the match will be broadcasted live on My cuju. You can either download that on an app on your iPhone or Google Play, or you can go ahead and go to MyKuju.TV, that's C-U-J-O-O, or you can go to MiamiFC.com and watch it through their website as well. Uh, as always, it's going to be Kartik, myself, and Lee Evans on the call. And, you know, obviously we cannot do it by ourselves. We have some backroom help coming in by way of, you know, Drew Hausman, Abel Irola, our cameraman, Soccer Droid, as well, as we mentioned just a little bit earlier. Taking a quick look around the NPSL playoffs, as we mentioned, there are 14 teams left within uh, the national kind of tournament structure, really, in this case. Um, taking a look at the south, which is the the you know near and dear to our hearts. On the other side of the semifinal, you'll have Tulsa and Fort Worth. Fort Worth having two massive upsets getting their way into the southern region semifinal by winning the lone star conference tulsa basically basically streamrolled uh the heartland conference which is what they've been doing all season long no surprise there When you look out west, we're going to actually have a final. So the Western Conference, which is always kind of weird in the NPSL because it starts earlier, it ends earlier, there ends to be like a weird break, and then the playoffs run pretty long. Arizona and San Diego, two teams that were not expected to come out of that playoff conference, will be duking it out for a spot in the national final. Uh, In the northeast region, you're going to also have on Saturday a really a final there as well to to earn a place in the national final it's going to be the new york cosmos b who will play fc baltimore who have fused with christos yes that club from the open cup run not that long ago that gave dc united a scare early on uh by getting if i'm not mistaken a first goal before being stampeded on four uh four to one by dc united um and the midwest region which is always the the wacky one here in the mpsl because the quarterfinals are going to be hosted by the higher place team. So, AFC Ann Arbor is going to host Rochester, and that's Rochester, New York, having to travel all the way uh, to the outskirts of Detroit uh, to play AFC Ann Arbor. Uh, and then Minneapolis will be hosting their uh, rivals in Rochester, Med City FC. Uh, as well before everybody then travels to detroit because detroit city fc rock city will be hosting the mid the midwestern region semi-finals and the finals kartik that's a mouthful man when you kind of look at the grand scope of the remaining 14 teams in this you know massive tournament who stands out to you who are the ones that say hey You know, if if we were to advance, I'd want to see those guys come into Barry University. Yeah,
1: obviously on the west side, uh, it it was... uh... A pretty stunning uh, turn of events that both FC Golden State and Crossfire Redmond, the two two sides, uh, and they were on the same side of the draw. So I thought they, the winner of that match, uh, would would end up winning the West. Neither um, neither came through. No, Crossfire. Well, yeah, Crossfire made it, made it through, but then lost to the ASC San Diego or lost on penalties. The Correct. ASC San Diego, just as FC Golden State had. So um, Crossfire uh, has a lot of really good academy players, guys that we might see uh, in the future playing for for MLS and USL Clubs. Uh, Golden State has just been really good. Uh, we might see Golden State again in, in, in another league in the future. I'll just leave it at that. Um, uh, as Miami <laughs> FC fans, we might we might be playing them again. Um, it, it, I, uh, we're, we're posting the podcast
0: in the subreddit. <laughs> <still>. <laughs>
1: um, and then in the Northeast... That's going to be so interesting because the Cosmos have gotten through and what people tell me is a very weak conference. And again, I, we don't see all these matches. I have to rely on the expertise of people who cover uh, these these uh, these conferences. Um, and I'm told at the same time FC Baltimore's conference was a lot more difficult to, to navigate, that they were in a tougher conference. They merged with Christos, as you mentioned. They have a lot of those players who are very good players. They beat a good Motown team. So um, that's really the match I'm, I'm keeping the closest eye on. Obviously, we're going to play um, the winner of Fort Worth and Tulsa. Fort Worth, the club, uh, start... Well, if, 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 if we get, get past, past champion, that, you right. Um, Chattanooga or Miami will play the winner of uh, Fort Worth and Tulsa. And Fort Worth is a club that um, Michael Hitchcock, who had such an important role in, in a lot of what we did at the NASL before he left to become the NPSL commissioner. Uh, we, you know, we we retained him as a consultant here in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, Tampa Bay used him. Atlanta, uh, he essentially uh, his company essentially ran that club for a number of years, the Silverbacks. Um, uh, he, he's a really good guy. He started that Fort Worth club. Uh, a couple of years ago and has had massive success with it. So, uh, I, I give him and I give that club a lot of credit. Uh, Tulsa, uh, I'm told is, 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 another good team, uh, that has, uh, interestingly enough, a fan base, even though they, uh, I mean, a decent sized fan base, even though they're in the same market as a USL championship club, um, and love seeing that love seeing independent clubs, uh, do well, uh, it, it, because they connect with the community. So, uh, it's going to be interesting. I think all these matches are good. Our matchup with Chattanooga obviously is a is, is, is a very, very difficult uh, match to call. Having home advantage makes me think we probably have a slight advantage. But uh, Chattanooga, as I've said, they have a lot of good players and they have a history. And uh, you've identified some of the key key parts of that team. And those are the types of players that um, could give us trouble on Tuesday.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely, guys. So, guys, this was episode seventy-three of Magic City Soccer. Always, always uh, a pleasure to have Karthik Krishnan on with us. And, and Karthik, I, I'm going to be seeing you tomorrow. But before I let you go, tell the people where to find your work. Yeah,
1: you can find me at Twitter at kkfla737 uh, and uh, at the Yankster Coming Podcast. Apologies for the cat you hear in the background now. Yeah, it's horrible. And uh, and also uh, worldsoccertalk.com
0: giving Drew Hausman's cats a run for his money while my dog is just sleeping peacefully over by the foot of the TV. Guys, uh, as always, you can find us on uh, Facebook at Magic City Soccer, Twitter at Magic City Soccer, Instagram at Magic City Soccer, We're doing a lot of great things over on our Instagram, and Lee Evans has really taken control of that platform and really made it his own and, and, and really brought Lee it to life Instagram, for Lee loves Instagram, doesn't uh, he? Lee is really good at Instagram. Let me tell you something. I When we first started this whole broadcasting venture, uh... I looked to Lee for guidance, and I think we all did, uh, because this is kind of his bread and butter, almost like his day job in a sense. Um, and it's just amazing, man, the technical knowledge that Lee has. We could not pull any of this off, what we're doing now without, without him. It would just be you know readily impossible. We'd be scrambling and, and doing games <laughs> on a cell phone and, and surely getting emails from other cities saying, what are you guys doing? Yeah. Yeah,
1: he it's just tremendous. I mean and his ability not only to to, to master the technical side but to master uh, the football side as well. I've I've been in awe of him this season.
0: Well, I mean I'm I, I can say I can say the same for from all of our staff to all of the Miami FC who have, you know, very welcomed us uh as partners into the club and, and allowed us to have, you know, kind of free reign in a sense uh to, to work the broadcast and and, and to work our content and, and you know provide engagement for us and things of that nature and it's, it's it's really fascinating it really is um guys so we're gonna as we mentioned we're gonna bring this in for a landing um Cardiff already explained where you can find him you guys know where to find us Please, guys, tune in tomorrow if you cannot make it to the match. Tickets are only 10 bucks. It's the most affordable ticket in town. It's going to be a fantastic match. You really should be there. Bear University is right off I-95. Get off on 119th Street. Go down a couple lights. Make a right. You'll be in the parking lot. It's free parking, guys. Kids are free, 12 and under. It's the summer. They don't need to go to sleep early. I'm a teacher. as a day <laughs> job, man. Bring your kids out. We can do this. Um but, yes, if you cannot join us Let me, let me tell reason, you how easy it is to get
1: to Barry. Sorry to cut you off, Omar, but I live in nor- North Broward County. live in Coral Springs, Northwest Broward County. It takes me a half an hour to get there. I mean, it's, it's like. It's like- Listen, it
0: takes me half an hour to get there from Doral, so I don't want to yeah, hear that. No, no, no. That's <laughs> what I'm talking about. That's so much true, I'm just
1: saying, um, <laughs> e- even for people in Broward and Palm Beach, Barry is just a great location because it's right off the highway. It's right there. You see the tower uh, uh, between 119th and 103rd, and you, get, you can get off at either exit and, and come join us.
0: It really is, really is. Guys, thank you so much for listening to us. Kartik, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. And again, mycuju.tv or miamiesc.com to watch tomorrow's night. We're just going to go ahead and sign off the, the best way we can always do it. Vamos, Miami!